Alright. Guys, every one of us knows that we have issues, we have problems, and college is hard, um, life is difficult, and I want to be um, helpful in a profound way that you've probably never thought about. Uh, so tonight, I think the battle um, for us is if you've heard this before, to believe it, if you've never heard this before, to embrace it. But I have heard it so many times, it's not funny. I have studied it, uh, and it is still a very grave struggle for my heart day to day. And so it's with that that we go to this text that we've read every single time this semester, and we look at the very last fruit of the Spirit tonight. We're looking at the fruits of the, fruit of the Spirit uh, in nine different angles. Those attributes listed in verses 22 through 23, and so tonight we finish that, and we'll move on and go backwards next week to the fruit of the flesh. So hear the word of God from Galatians 5 tonight. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. The grass withers, flowers fade, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Um, let's pray again and ask Him to bless it this evening. Um, Lord, Lord, Your Word says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Uh, we are helpless without this attribute, without this fruit that you produce in our lives. So we call out to you. Uh, Lord, we, we confess that if I only speak um, and if we only listen, then nothing will happen. But if you speak, then everything will change forevermore. You will change us because this is fruit of your spirit. So we ask your spirit to be with us, and we will give you glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, I would, I would um, just direct you to the back of your bulletin uh, under the announcements. At the bottom, you see the phone numbers of me, Sam, Catherine, our interns. And I just want you to know, like, you can, you can text us questions. We call this TNA, text and answer. So if there are questions you might have um, during the sermon, you can... Send them on to one of our interns, Sam or Catherine, and they will anonymously forward them on to me, and I can address those uh, possibly tonight after the sermon. So, all right, so how many of y'all are science majors tonight? Anybody? Somebody science? Anyone looking to do research in the future? Somebody? Okay. I just want to uh, just direct you to researchers. 
at the Connecticut College, they have determined that Oreos are really good and addictive. It's awesome. Uh, it's a great study. Wouldn't you want to be in the lab for that, um, determining that Oreos are addictive? And the, the, the supposition here is that the Oreos are addictive as cocaine, at least for lab rats. So they actually will attack the Oreos, and you, don't believe, you won't believe this, but they will actually eat the cream filling first, just like you probably do. It's amazing how lab rats do that. Now, the, the deal is those are hard to resist. Oreos are hard to resist for a lab rat, um, for us, anyone. In fact, um, it, the, the findings of the study suggest that high-fat, sugary foods and drugs of abuse like cocaine trigger brain-addictive processes to the same degree. And so they're similar, is what they're saying. They're going to present their paper uh, at the Society for Neuroscience in San Diego next month. And this man sees, the man who did the study says, Oreos are dangerous, so I'm not touching them anymore. He hasn't touched one since the, since the survey, since the uh, research. So you got to know, guys, there's deep chemical, emotional, spiritual realities going on deep within you, and self-control is a challenge. Uh, it is a challenge. And so you might be looking at this, this topic and thinking, especially if you're new to this whole thing, um, Justin, I don't really don't have a problem with self-control. Um, I do what I want all the time. I mean, all of us probably do what we want to do all the time, unless someone, uh, like, unless you're driving really fast and then you see a police officer stationed off the road with a radar gun, you might slow down. He's compelling you to slow down. But still, your desire in the moment is to not get a ticket. Um, you desire and you do. You believe things and you behave. You do it all the time. And so you look at this list and you think, what's up with that? Self-control makes the list. Self-control. We are out of control. The fact that self-control makes the list along with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fact that it does that, it presupposes that our self is opposed to what God and the Bible want. It is opposed to it. And so if, if, you're, if, if we believe we're under control, we are under a delusion and a lie. Now, the Bible all over the place speaks about how out of control we are. Um, now, I say control, out of control. What we want is evil all the time. Genesis 6-5, every imagination of our hearts is evil all the time. Uh, Ephesians 2.1 would say that we are dead in our trespasses and sins before Christ. Um, we're dead. We have a carnal nature. This, this, uh, this old man that lived within us and, and is in our hearts. And, and, he, and he drives us to not seek God. And so it's very daunting for us to control ourselves and do what the Bible and God want. Because the Bible says we have a problem with ourself. And what is the problem with ourself? Is that the self needs to be locked away and shot and killed. The self needs to be destroyed. The self needs to be beheaded. The self needs to be destroyed. The self. The self. Now, the self, why is it, why is it such a danger? Because it loves 
itself. It has this overwhelming desire to kill anything that threatens self. Um, now, I don't know how many of y'all watch these movies, but um, I, I once saw Halloween H2O. Um, it's a great film. Okay, don't go watch it, but it's, it's Halloween time, so it's relevant, I guess. But uh, Halloween is about the story of Michael Myers. A, uh, if, if you can think about one goofy, scary movie character that strikes fear at people because he is embodying evil. That's what the, the, the movie tells us. This character embodies evil. And so there's a moment when Michael Myers dies. He's finally killed. Now, Michael Myers is hard to kill. He is obsessed with killing his family uh, and hunting down their survivors. And so he, he meets up in this final climatic scene with his sister, and his sister um, runs him off the road, and then he's impaled. And so he's sitting there. He's still grasping for her. He cannot rest until he has killed her, even in his dying moments. And so he stops as she looks him in the eye through the mask that he wears, and he sort of reaches out his hand as if in compassion, like, forgive me, I suppose. And she looks at him, and she takes an axe and cuts off his head. And it is the only thing she could have done, behead the monster that is her brother. The only thing that is appropriate... The only thing you can do is to cut off the self. The self is your problem. And what does that look like? So what is the self's problem? You know, if, if, if what you needed was just improvement, determination would be what you needed. Um, if you're okay, stamina would be okay, but you're not. The self-love in you is stronger than anything in the world. And we all have Horrible things that we'd be ashamed about if anyone else knew. Um, so ashamed, even after being a Christian. Some of us are here as Christians, and we are just ashamed of what we've seen, where we've gone, what we've done. Uh, because we aren't, we're supposed to be Christians. And so your heart's born that way. It loves itself often more than Jesus. And so we've got to take the monster out. So what's a self's problem? There's a battle going on within you, this divided self. If you're, if you're a Christian, you're alive with Christ now. And so that means that you substantially have this new joy, this new life, this new heartbeat within you. You have, as if you, you could think of it as two hearts. You have an old heart and a new heart. An old man and a new man, as the Bible would say in Romans 6. But sin and temptation are revealing themselves all the time. We know what it looks like. Now, some of you came here tonight and you wanted to go to a Bible study. You're like, that's a good thing for a Christian to do. And then when you got here, you started judging the, judging the crud out of people, looking at people, good and bad, and thinking, she's hot, he's hot, she's not. I mean, there's like, look at what she's wearing or he's wearing, look at that. So, like, so, so like, temptation and sin raise their ugly head everywhere. You can't get away from it. You want to be godly, but you've got desires that are evil, and they're out of control everywhere. Okay? Romans 7, Paul, a Christian, says, look, and he's a super Christian. He wrote a lot of the Bible, and he says, the good I want to do, I can't accomplish, and the evil I, want to do, I don't want to do, I keep doing. I've got a problem. You're here for a Bible study, and you're making all kinds of thoughts that you'd be ashamed uh, to, um, to confess. So what's our strategy? What's our strategy? So first, the first way we can look at it is the, is the, is the hard work of self-discipline is not the answer. Self-discipline masquerades as self-control, but it's not. 
the, the problem is not, I need to get a plan, another program. I need to read my Bible more, uh, say the right verses to myself in the moment of temptation, pray harder, get an accountability partner. Um, discipline will not change you. Uh, I know this. Um, I once uh, was a champion uh, track runner. Um, I ran uh, the big man 400 in interim rolls uh, at SMU uh, when I was in college, a freshman. Uh, I trained uh, all of zero time for this race uh, and ran a 400-meter race against many other people that were over 220 pounds. See, my training consisted of being 225 pounds, and <laughs> that was it. Um, I was over 225 pounds. I was who I was. I was the perfect build to win this race. It was not training that got me there. It was it's just who I was. Um, who I was determined everything. Who you are is the thing, not self-discipline. We're going to talk about that. Self-control is that you're going to begin to say no to things that you've said yes to your whole life. Self-control is to begin to say no to things you've said yes to your whole life. It's not changing from the good list to the bad list. I used to do the bad list of things, now I'm going to do the good list of things. But it's saying yes to things you previously didn't say yes to and saying no to things you've always said yes to. It's to change, self-control. And you have to find, what you have to do to do that is you have to find something more lovable than yourself. And so, let's just think about what Jesus once said on this very topic. Jesus, in the most perfect sermon ever, it's a great place to quote, right? He preached a sermon in Matthew 5-7, through the Sermon on the Mount. And he closed it with, with a, an analogy of that there's two roads. Uh, one is easy, with all the things we like. And one is hard. It requires the Spirit to lead us that way. There's two roads. One's hard and one's easy. One is filled with all the things we desire. One is filled with all the things we're not so sure about. One's hard, one's easy. And so what we've got to do is we've got to examine those two ways. The first road is the road of the hard work of obedience and self-discipline. It's getting ourselves in shape. It's training. It's working harder. It's I can do it. I can do it. The second is putting yourself to death. And I want to show you that. Um, right after self-control on your page, on uh, verse 23, it says, after self-control, against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit, against such things there is no law. The law tells me what to do. But the gospel, the other way, the narrow road, tells me who I am. Listen to this. In verse 24 it says, and those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You see that? Who you are is that you are crucified. The old you is crucified. The old way of doing things, of discipline yourself and doing what you want to do out of your own power for approval is no more. It is gone. It's crucified with Jesus the flesh with its passions and desires. Focusing on me is no more. Focusing upon the fact that God could love me in that way is the road. That is the narrow road. Now, let me just illustrate this in a, in a lighthearted way. I know we could talk about this in many ways uh, that are maybe a little bit embarrassing, but I'll just embarrass myself just a little bit, but not really. Okay, 
because I don't want to go there totally. It's uncomfortable for me to do that. So Ted's Escondido Cafe was one of the first places I ever went in Norman with my wife and family. Every time I go there, I overeat. I tell Meredith uh, every time my wife that I'm never going back there again. I get the chicken fajitas, and I eat the whole plate. I eat the papas. I eat the, the corn. I eat, I eat this, the atomic salsa. Um, it is a bad idea. Okay, and so I eat it all, and then I eat the sopapillas that come afterwards, which are complimentary. And it is a glorious idea at first, and it is a terrible decision. Um, I drive the minivan with the kids who Meredith and I have to bathe and put in bed, and poor little children, and I'm exhausted from eating. Okay, and I am feeling terrible. I just want to moan on the couch for a while. Kick my feet up. It is disgusting. So I make vows with myself. I'm only going to eat fruit. I'm only going to eat salad if you'll deliver me, God. Just deliver me, God, this time. I don't want to get... I, I hate it. Then, after, I, after a few weeks of behavior modification and discipline, where are we going to go eat? Ted's. It happens again. The same cycle. I go back to the same place order the same thing that I know is bad for me and I've forgotten to eat fruit and vegetables and I eat chicken fajitas again and I eat the sopapillas again and I eat the atomic salsa again, okay? And it is a bad idea. It is yummy, but it kills. And isn't that the way sin, sin really is? It's yummy, but it kills. It promises joy, but it never delivers ever, 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 ever. And, it, and, and I get back in the minivan and I drive home ashamed again. And I moan. And I tell Meredith the same things. And then I, I get there and I'm ashamed of myself and I open up the, frit, the, uh, the <laughs> freezer and I pull out the ice cream. And I'm ashamed again. I know what I'm doing myself. But the ice cream certainly tastes good. Now, you know, maybe that's not you, but I bet it is. You keep getting, going back to the same old places, lacking self-control, and you're like, who is going to deliver me from this? I, it's just an endless cycle of shame. And you keep surrendering to whatever it is for you, to talking about people in your classes who just can't get it together. And you get it together. You got it. Uh, to, to, the, to, to going back to the same websites, to throwing away your money, whatever it is, rather than giving your money. Maybe it's, maybe it's just whatever, whatever your same thing you feel shamed about that you know you shouldn't be doing, you keep on doing it. And the, 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 the first road that's easy says, just stop it. Work harder. And that's what we often employ, and it's not good news. It hurts, and it's hard, but it seems so easy. The way that, that, that seems so easy is a cruel mistress, a cruel taskmaster upon us. The law. Just get some more rules. Don't go to that place. Only order off the light menu. Make some more laws. And so what the law does, though, is the law can tell me what to do, but it can't tell me who I am. Remember, the problem is myself. Myself wants to please itself and only cares about itself and it will destroy me if I get in the way. That old heart. The lust struggle. Think about that, guys. When I say sin, when I say self-control, we're all thinking about lust. That's, that's, that's the deal. Lust, okay? So, let's talk about that for just a minute. Let's everyone get uncomfortable. Okay, lust. 
when you know you're struggling with lust and you've done really well, you, you, you haven't struggled with that for so long, what happens? You find a new addiction, pleasure in pious living, pleasure in being the good son versus the screw up, okay, you can't ever get it right, pleasure. But I tell you, that pleasure is fool's gold. It never will measure up. It will never satisfy you, and you'll end up in a worse place. See, the works of the flesh or the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of that is actually sexual immorality, drunkenness, orgies, the things like that. If you attempt to improve yourself by yourself doing what you can do, following rules, you're going to end up back in the same place. It's an endless cycle. You can't fix yourself. But what can is there's a better love. There's a better joy. There's a better joy out there. And it's that Jesus offers his love to you. Here's what it says. Is that because of what Jesus has done for you, if you're in Christ, every day is like the Father kissing your cheek just like he was tickled with you when you were born, when you graduated, wedding day, your first baby's born, that sort of embrace, that delight never fails. Why? Because God hates your sin and he takes care of it. He takes care of it. The narrow, difficult road is believing that. It's believing the simple gospel, the good news that I can't fix myself, but I don't have to fix myself because Jesus fixes me. He does fix me. And self-control follows after I know that Jesus took my punishment for the self-discipline I can't earn and can't fix. And he made me a son. He replaces the unacceptable me with Jesus. That's what the Father sees when he looks at me. And so it's not just say no to the problem. The problem with just say no is just. John Piper has a great word on this. He says, you don't just say no as a Christian. You say it in a certain way. We have a different way of speaking. It's you say no by faith in the superior power and pleasure of Christ. You remember, Ted's Escondido Cafe will keep calling me. The world's way doesn't last. There's a superior power, though, and pleasure that's going to give me the possibility of victory that I've never thought is possible. And so let's, let's kind of talk about that just a little bit. The Christian way is to put you in the electric chair. You who have nothing, it's to be crucified with Christ. Verse 24, you belong to Christ Jesus, having crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, the world's way is try harder, but we crucify try harder. We say, I'm a broken sinner. I am unable to do this. And that's, some of y'all need to say that. You need to say that for the first time in your life. I've got nothing, I'm a broken sinner, and Jesus is not impressed with my holiness. Diet's not going to do it. Discipline's not going to do it. Saying I'm nothing. I'm a broken sinner, and Jesus is impressed with my holiness. Is the thing that's going to help you? And some of y'all need to say, look, I've got nothing. My flesh needs to be crucified. 
in saying, I've got nothing but the love of Jesus. And that he is not disgusted, disappointed, and disillusioned with me because I've got the love of God in Christ. That's all I've got. If I can believe that, which is actually harder than doing something, then I've got, a, I've got hope. If I know a love that's better than any other love I could ever find, that is more secure and certain, that is never going to waver, that's what I've got. Some of you are contemplating doing something that you know is unquestionably wrong tonight. You're contemplating that tonight. And maybe you're even halfway there. You have one foot there tonight going to do that. Self-control is not by working harder and figuring out a way to get out of that situation. It's by looking back at Jesus crucified for you. And so you've got to ask who you are. Who are you, really? Who are you? Are you Jesus, crucified with Jesus, or are you a hard worker trying to impress everybody else? Your identity matters. Um, I used to think I was Michael Jordan. I don't know if you knew that. I thought I was Michael Jordan. Um, in reality, I was the worst player on my sixth grade basketball team. But I had the shoes and the jersey. I thought I was Michael Jordan. I put it on. It wasn't reality, though. I told myself I was somebody I'm not. But what Jesus, does, Jesus, what Jesus actually accomplishes is who I am. The, the illusion is we put on things and pretend like we're somebody else. But Jesus puts on something to us and makes us something new. He makes us something new. That's the difference in the world's way. We don't put things on. Jesus places a new identity upon us. He puts his name on us. You don't just say no as a Christian. You have a greater delight because, look, he put his name on you. And my favorite illustration of this, which you've heard sometimes, is that Toy Story 2, Buzz Lightyear implores Woody to come home. But Woody has found this other way. He's going to be a star. And so he doesn't want to go, come back home. And he, he starts to get sad when he hears, you've got a friend in me on the TV. And he starts to question, is he making the right decision? Is he making the right decision, letting all the toys go home and, and giving up his calling as Andy's favorite toy? And so he looks, you know, he sits there, he looks kind of dejected. He picks up his boot and he dusts it off and he sees, oh, Andy's name is there. And so Sheriff Woody jumps up, runs out the door and calls to Buzz, wait, I'm coming home because Andy is his guy. He's Andy's favorite toy, and Andy wrote his name on him. He wrote his name on Sheriff Woody. And he started to believe who he is again. He is what we would call a son. He's the cherished toy. He's the one. And, and it wasn't obedience or figuring out the way there. It was simply realizing who he was again for the first time again. He's realizing who he was and that's what we, that's, that is the secret of self-control. The harder work of believing the gospel produces self-control. Not the hard work of obedience, of working harder, of self-discipline. That's what everything in life tells you to do. Everything in life tells you you've got to keep on working hard. You've got to make your midterms. You've got to make a certain grade. Then you're going to get a certain job. 
And you get the certain spouse, certain family, certain place, certain house, certain life that you want. Perform and get it. But the gospel is a harder way. It's a way that says, look, I've got nothing. I'm a broken sinner. And when you're really, realize, when you're really ready to say that, say I'm a broken sinner, but I'm more loved than I could ever imagine by Christ Jesus, and I can internalize that, I've got hope. Apart from it, I've got nothing. No, no control of my own self. A greater joy. Let's pray. Father, help us to believe these things, to, to wrestle with these things, to think about Christ, to think about the Son who, who went to a cross to love us, to die for us. Some of us need to hear that for the first time, to find ourselves so deeply connected to Him that when you look at us, Father, you see Jesus. And when we look at you, we see a loving Father, not someone we have to clean ourselves up for, someone who we have to, to impress and, and make, um, make, make peace with. But you've already made the peace through your Son. You're infatuated with us. You are absolutely, uh, unquestionably for us. And so we, we pray that we rejoice in that, and that would help us day by day, that we keep coming back to that. And you'd bless us. You'd help us to hear that again. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um,